Keywords in Play. You're listening to Keywords in Play, an interview series about game research supported by Critical Distance and the Digital Games Research Association. As a joint venture, Keywords in Play expands Critical Distance's commitment to innovative writing and research about games, while using a conversational style to bring new and diverse scholarship to a wider audience. invite you to introduce yourself and your research in your own words. Hi Hugh, nice to meet you again. So I'm Philania Liu, I'm a Chinese game researcher, also a gaming historian on the social impact of games. I do a little bit of game history and a lot of things related to the social impact of gaming and I also also design all this sort of gamified projects so that the public would be aware of uh, what games can do in terms of um, positive social impact. And my uh, Homo Ludens archive, which would be abbreviated as HLA, uh, also work as a base to not, not only to, to preserve Chinese game history, but also to convert part of the game historical documents into creative endeavors that would help the game developers to design their new projects. So, so basically, I play happily <laughs> as a game researcher. Are you able to tell us a little bit more about the Homo Ludens Archive or the HOA and how it came about? Um, so the Homo Ludens Archive was founded as a non-commercial entity. Uh, currently, Homo Ludens Archive is being located inside uh, Beijing Normal University. But uh, since 2020, we had a branch in Hangzhou, and currently I am in our local branch in Zhuhai, and we are also setting up uh, a branch in Shanghai. Uh, in that sense, we would at least have three bases in China, and that covers um, uh, the majority of major game companies, no, no matter big or small. But, but basically, HOA is a non-profit endeavor, and it is specifically funded as, as that, because um, I began the project as my personal project and using my research money to cover for it. Um, from 2018 to 2020. And then I had this problem where um, we got a lot of donations from the game industry. Actually, 80% uh, of the Homer Ludens archive entities was, uh, came from donations. The problem is uh, we don't have enough manpower to clean those data and to make them into digital copies that are accessible to the general industry people and to the general public. And so from 2018 to 2020, for that continuous two years, um, everything is done by either me or our volunteers from the game industry. So. Uh, that the way that we operated for that two years is that once the game people want to visit the archive to check uh, 
something as reference for their game project, I would very kindly allow them in. And, and, then, um, and then after they check the data that they want, I would kindly ask them to, um, to convert the data that they checked <laughs> into digital copies as a sort of composite uh, for using that service. But, but as you can see, it's a very pessimal and, and it's, uh, it's also not a continuous way to do it. But the good, the good things from that is that uh, from the very start, we have a very deep root within the game community. Uh, to begin with, uh, the indie game developers from China uh, checked um, the archival items. And so we have uh, over 3,000 items, including games and hardwares and softwares. And also we have archives, that is the historical record that we kept. Uh, as the first generation of Chinese game scholars, I'm fortunate enough to be able to take part in various Chinese high-rank official meetings related to games, where as a previous member of the board, <laughs> member of Chinese DIGRA, I, I also started to organize some of the major game academic events in China. As I came from a historical background that I was trained to be an historian, so so I, I do have this sense that we should kept our data and things as archive, and especially the Chinese game industry is a very rapidly growing industry, which means they don't have a historical conscientiousness or consciousness, which means things started to to lose really really fast. Like currently, I'm based in Zhuhai, and in our local HLA base inside Simsan company, it's one of the earliest game studio in China, and their game history is uh, losing very fast. That they, they can't even find a playable digital copy of the first uh, commercial Chinese game <laughs> that we are all aware of, but, but and everyone knows that game, and people keep speaking about it because it's a game called Zhongguan Cun Qi Shi Lu, and it recalls the history in 1990s in Zhongguan Cun, an area in Beijing where basically our um, technology industry took its first step. Currently, even inside that company, they can't find a playable copy of it. So basically, for our first generation of archive visitors, they came to the archive to check on the, the other developers' notes on the game that they are developing, and also on the game magazines that we kept. Okay, so it's not just games that you are archiving, but literature too. Um, can you tell us about the preservation of these Chinese game magazines and what their loss has meant locally? We managed to have over 30 types of game magazines. Uh, the majority of them are also going extinct. Part of the reason is that in 2015, a lot of uh, paper magazine went bankrupt because people think a digital magazine is the new future. And that is especially bad for the Chinese game industry because it was also a time where the industry has been uh, going through a very rapid transition where the government has a harsher rule placed on the industry. And during that process, losing 
paper magazines is like losing a battlefield of game literacy and and losing the public access to the general um general people where. Currently, they have no access to the expertise of the game knowledge. In the past,、um, people could buy game magazines at the local bookstores or at the local newsstand, which means there is still a public access. If if I'm a parent and if I want to know about games, I could always go to the newsstand and buy a game magazine, and so that I can see what is popular and what are they talking about in terms of games. But currently, there are no Thriving or even working paper game magazines in China. It means the parents and the teachers and and the general public who has no idea of what games are no longer have any access to games. That also creates another problem.、Uh, the game developers in China has no reliable professional knowledge base. Weirdly enough, normal libraries don't keep game magazines. And in the Chinese search engines, you cannot search for the content of the game magazines because they have never been digitized before. And so that's part of the work that we did at HLA Archive is that、uh, after people donate their game magazines to us, we digitize them and we make them searchable. And currently, you can search for the table of contents for the twenty-year-old magazine Popsoft. It's entirely in Chinese, but we are hoping that we can use some of the auto translation so that foreign scholars could also make use of it. But basically, after After 2020, I find we need more manpower to do the digital work, and so I managed to persuade some of the very commercial game companies that that has done nothing really great to the industry, <laughs> to ask them to donate money to the non-profit fund that I'm establishing, and、um, I ask that as donation because I don't want them to have any sort of Control over the archive, and so basically, on the basis of that donation money, we managed to recruit student volunteers as the major active manpower <laughs> to do the digitization of the the game archival items that we kept, and also to organize various activities around game history,、uh, especially around preserving Chinese game history. And currently, we we have a volunteer team of over fifty two people. We recruit、uh, the student volunteers every semester, and so so that so there is actually a circulation of them, and people come and go. But but then the most able and devoted one would remain. And currently, they are running without my supervision. We also have our bi-monthly journal that that is running. And the editorial board is entirely comprised of the student volunteers, and it's it's majorly a reprint of some of the game archival items that we think are too precious to be kept alone. Our journal is open accessed through our website. So basically, currently HLA is being seen as part of the basic infrastructure of the game industry in China, where the the developers would feel that finally they have a spiritual home, <laughs> which is、um, sadly not present、uh, for any other、um, 
sort of institutions before us. And um, they, they would come to us and consult us about um, the problems that they encountered in terms of game development and in terms of games' very low cultural status within the society. And uh, in the meantime, the government would also use us for loads of consultations, uh, especially related to the social uh, side of game literacy. There are lots of different groups that the archive is serving then. Game developers, game historians, game scholars, uh, game companies. As a game scholar who focuses on the social impact of games, there's one thing that I realize is that uh, we don't have a system or an infrastructure to, to treat digital games as a sort of cultural product in the Chinese context, which means the parents and the children and the teachers, they had no access to be educated in terms of game literacy. They don't even have the, the, the idea of game literacy. And no class in the school system in China would teach anyone about what games are or what type of games are good and what type of games are bad. But uh, they constantly write those protesting letters to, <laughs> to the CPC Congress and asking the government to stop the game industry as it poisons the future generation, uh, which I'm sure um, some of our audience might already heard about. As a scholar, I think we want to do something for the industry after we realize um, nothing has been done in that area. Uh, we had this um, research project for the past uh, one year and a half where we managed to get the system of game literacy that we could teach the, the secondary or high school stu students to have a better understanding of games and to have a be better understanding of themselves. We also put many game exhibitions into uh, schools so that they can they can play uh, a variety of type of games in one shot. And um, the reason why that is so important is that uh, for some of the audience who, which might not be aware of this, the, the Educational Department of China had announced last year that teenagers under 18 years old could only play three hours per week in terms of mobile games. And, and, and also, um, for our service with, with the younger Chinese generation, we are aware that the majority of them only play mobile games. Um, so they are not aware that there are console games. They are not aware there are other type of games. They, they, they are not aware that there are extra games that could, could help them to do exercises or things like that. And so in order to help them to grow to a broader and a higher level of literacy and not being played by those consumer games that would only create um, social problems, that we think those sort of game, experi game experience um, exhibition is highly important. And so, bas so basically that's, that, that's the student side of our game literacy program. And we also have a teacher training program where we have uh, developed this gamification framework into the teaching plan. Like, uh, for example, for the history lesson, 
we would have uh, a Japanese sailing game uh, as the major history lab. And we put the student into two groups and ask them to sail around in that game. And they, they have a very specific uh, limitation that they have to go around the globe and going through the real historical sites inside that game within six minutes. Each group would have um, the, the map of the other group so that the teacher doesn't need to do anything. So the process would be they experiment and then they sail in, in front of the class. And then the other group would grade them and in the end, they would um, have a review of the whole historical process. And that would end in 45 minutes. Some of the high school teachers already put that into their classroom and it works. And we also are putting that into our teacher training program. And we had a teacher's uh, game literacy workshop uh, last semester. Uh, where we, we did recruit uh, 60 teachers from all around China and, and we did uh, provide them with a toolbox with not only um, that, that I just mentioned, but also a sort of game database that serves for the parents and school teachers where um, they could filter games with no previous knowledge of game. Uh, for example, they could search for what type of venue that they would want their student to play or they would want their children to play and on what subject like a kind of game recommendation database yes, or a list yes. of recommended yes yes exactly exactly thank you <laughs> and so so that's exactly it uh, our website is called game library so so basically why we are doing this game reference library is that for the past few years I was approached by parents and school teachers all the time that they want us to provide them with sort of game recommendation. And then we think instead of just give them something that works for all people, it would be better if we make a toolbox. So what we ended up doing is we had this open to public call where we recruit some of the, the, the social uh, volunteer uh, from the industry and from the, the school teacher or parents that, that actually play games and recommend games to their own children and ask them to come together to work with us to get a database of work of art game that, that already came to the market then and that has been long tested by the public to be good games and then we had seven filters including the game time and the game venue and what type of age differentiation that you are targeted at and how long would you want your children to play and and also uh, we managed to have a list to put some of the work of art games and to link that with the subject that the school is teaching. For example, we would have um, a math game and an English game and, and history game and things like it. And currently we have uh, over 200 games being put into that database, but um, it's still growing. And the, the idea is to use the current work of art game as a sort of teaching tool and as a sort of cultural heritage that we can make use of and instead of just developing new games all the time. As I mentioned, the history lesson that we did is by making use of a Japanese 
selling game. It's not a functional game, and it's not an educational game. It's just a normal commercial game that designed really well, and that's what we want to urge. That if we want the general public of China to have a correct understanding of digital game, then that correct understanding should be based on a common, normal commercial game. <laughs> it, it shouldn't be um, that they they think only the educational game could be. Good for education. Our idea is, if it's a very good、uh, work of art game, then it should be the educators' role to think what type of rules that those very good games can play, instead of、um, throwing everything at the de developer and asking them to develop educational games. I, I don't know if I'm making myself clear. <laughs> no, that's quite clear, Falania. Thank you. Can you tell me some more about the exhibitions that you have created and curated through the archive? So in 2018, like three months after HLA was founded, we managed to curate this artistic and functional game exhibition in Central Art Academy of China, and it's the first time that a game exhibition enters an art gallery in China, and it had a lot of artistic. Games presented, and and there are parents who would be happy to bring their children to that exhibition to play, but but basically it's focusing on game that have an educational rule, and it, it that's like the first art exhibition we we did, and after that、um, we had loads of other game history exhibitions, and currently we we also have this very cool long standing. Game exhibition in the Chinese historical area in collaboration with、uh, the Suzhou National、uh, Archive. We managed to have this Chinese game history and cultural memory exhibition that is、uh, located on one of the most、uh, tourist attracted historical area in the center of the Suzhou city. So that is also co-hosted by our collaborator, which is the National Archive. It's also the first time that we collaborated with a real historical archive. And the interesting side of that is that they managed to also see game as archival item that could be preserved. And we think the cultural significance and social significance of that exhibition actually exceeds how it really looks like. <laughs> I, I'm not super proud of, about that exhibition, but the other exhibition is the one that I'm really super excited and proud about. Is an art exhibition that we co-curated with A4 Art Gallery last year, and it lasted for three months and is. Part of the Children Art Festival, in the center there is this giant tree, and we managed to locate games alongside that tree to create a sort of natural surrounding, and we select games specifically to sort of alter the public image that games are very competitive and noisy. Uh, instead, we put games like Journey and、um, the Bird Along in the Bird Hall inside that tree, and we put Koi, a game where you play as a fish, in a pond that we designed, and we also put Animal Crossing there, so that the parents would be happy to bring their children here to do a little bit of artistic and spiritual experience within games. 
and we also have a game history wall alongside that tree. If you go through that wall, you will see the mushroom man, which is a personified figures of, uh, that represents HLA because we located in a basement. And also we, we, we all sorts of feel like the Chinese game industry is, is, is sort of just like HLA in a basement uh, with no light. <laughs> and even the cactus would die. <laughs> What's been the response of parents and teachers? Are people happy with the exhibition? So basically, um, that, that exhibition is something that we really loved. It's a great opportunity for the Chinese parents to actually learn about real digital games, not educational games, and not very specific type of games, but, but just an Animal Crossing as a commercial game, or Bird Along as a commercial game, or Journey as a commercial game. It's just normal games. And that's exactly the point. If we want to raise the, the general level of game literacy, then it has to be normal games instead of all those very specific type of games. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really important work that you're doing, I have to say. And it's, um, it's interesting work. And, and w w without the help, I, I should mention that without the help of, of, of our student um, volunteers, I wouldn't be able to do it. And of course, all groups of our student volunteers work closely to provide uh, not only games, but also game descriptions and also game history exhibitions. And we also have a brochure of all the descriptions of game uh, presented on that game history wall, which is actually a great amount of work. It's such a fantastic resource that you're creating with all of this work. And I, I do hope that you receive support beyond the student volunteers that you, you currently have. But, but, but I guess that's, um, that means we, we are doing the right thing, that, that HLA is rightly seated at a non-profit fund <laughs> that where allows us to, to not caring uh, more about how could make things more commercial, but, but that can make us to just stay focused on what's the right social thing to do and what's the right thing to do to sort of uh, protect and to maintain a healthy ecosystem for the Chinese game industry, which um, currently is not its healthiest condition, <laughs> where we would have some very large companies present, and, and we uh, the, the little ones are, are thriving at, at very far end. And, um, the government had a very strict rules regarding uh, what type of things they should produce. And also the, there are heavy tax on, on the industry without any real help. And of course, game scholarship had never been well developed in the Chinese language context in the journals. But um, I, I, I'd say it's still developing uh, at an early stage and it's not very closely to the industry's concern where as a historian, <laughs> instead of a normal game scholar from, from like a media or literature background, I care more about the existence of the infrastructure of the game industry. I think the industry should exist so that a historian can record things about it. And if that, that industry is totally gone, then I have nothing to record about. <laughs> so, so that is actually uh, why I started to do, do this thing from the very start. It's more like the, the way that we are 
doing game research in China is through all these playful activities that we do in HLA. Instead of a more paper-based publication type of research, it's more like action research. And that action research is much needed for the current Chinese game community as it's been on the brink of collapsing, I think, to a certain extent. And not, not to the commercial extent, but to the cultural extent. We are going to have a next generation of students who only play games for three hours per week. That means they will only play the most popular mobile game. That would mean that their game literacy is relatively low, that they would never portray game as an important cultural form, that they will never be able to learn from it because they're more seeing it as, at its very best, an entertainment, and at its very worst, a gambling mechanism and something like it. And we have, we already have some of the very good game developers that produced a work of art game that quit the industry because of the very heavy social and cultural burden that, that everyone is placing on games. And the general public is still very hostile towards gaming. And it's, um, they, they still think that games are evil <laughs> and that it poisons the next generation. And we are not saying that those type of games are not non-existent. Actually, I think gambling games should be very strictly governed and because they are poisonous in a certain way. But um, as a country with an industry of a size of hundreds billions of renminbi, I think we ought to do something real to help that industry to produce something healthy. And, and to make sure that that ecosystem is healthy at first so that it could continuously produce something without the, the heavy pressure from above or from below. So um, I think it's an ecological thing. <laughs> and that healthy ecosystem currently is it's not in existence. And especially after, after as I mentioned, uh, after we lose um, the paper magazines, uh, we are actually... Uh, what we what the Chinese um, game game community is losing is actually game criticism and also a way to measure game not on the basis of how many copies you 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 sold but also on its cultural value and cultural attributes. After the game magazines are gone, no one judge game on their cultural merit, and that is a very severe problem, I think. Um, that I, I've been very luckily present in this Discovery Asia documentary project called Can Video Games Change the World? It's a five-episode English documentary and that documentary combines uh, video games with sand control, desert control. <laughs> it's, uh, it sounds weird, right? And the major thing that we did for that five-episode documentary is that we started this social experiment where we invited two groups of Chinese game developers to go into the desert and to talk with the local desert people who, who are very familiar with sand control and try to convince them of the power of gaming uh, and to try to combine the two words together. And so we managed to have this mini test in the desert area in Ningxia province. And 
a group of fourth grade students managed to come up with three games on desert. And that was extremely fun to play with. And then in the end, we managed to have two digital games and three board games coming out of that project. And one digital game uh, receives a major prize from Tezant uh, in one of their game prize. But what we really like is this, this board game called uh, The Sun Control People. It's, it came from a girl who lives in the desert and who never thought she could design game before. And she used the sand, the local seed, and the local stone to work as the game piece in her board game. And, and that board game is all about sand controlling. It's a con construction game. It's interesting and, and in a certain sense beautiful. And, and of, of course, a female developer would also add value. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that, of course, is also being included in our game archive as an archival item that we managed to develop, <laughs> help to develop. So, so, so basically, that's the sort of uh, social experiment that I talk about. As the game industry is very well aware that we are doing this, and so we ended up having more game jams and more game creators events focusing on ecological side of society. It feels like we're doing the right thing, that, that there are the right people who want to continue to do things in a tested way. And, 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 and I think that's super, that's super exciting because those social experiments, it's um, super cool. <laughs> super cool to play with. <laughs> this is such important work for Lania. Where can people find out more about these projects and about you online? I had a personal page that I can put here. Of course, you can always visit uh, Homoludens Archive at gamearchive.cn. And um, we are very lucky to receive a lot of interviews from the major uh, media in China. But basically, you can always find us on our website. And we also have a WeChat. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Falania. Uh, th yeah. Thank you. Thank you. See you. Bye.